I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of All Things Policy. My name is Suman. I am your host for today, and today we are discussing a very interesting social as well as economic issue, which is caste. and its impact on economic mobility now every society has something that is a distinguishing feature of it so for the indian society a lot of times we say that the caste system is probably arguably the most you know defining feature as such now this caste system as such has profound impact on the markets on society and everything around us how does this impact markets how does this impact economics or economic mobility is what we will discuss today we are restricting this conversation to economic mobility as such and to discuss this with me i have my colleague sarthak welcome sarthak yeah welcome to the show hi firstly to get the basics right a lot of us have different conceptions of what is caste how it affects us you know a lot of things around that so in terms of the economics of it can you just describe to us what is caste and where it gets you know its importance in the economic scenario as such yeah thanks suman thanks for the introduction so caste system is as you were mentioning is one of those uh, fundamental features of indian society so the indian society is divided into different smaller groups and uh, these groups are again not arranged in an egalitarian manner right they are arranged in a hierarchy and this entire system is a status based stratification that means certain groups are accorded a higher status and some social groups are accorded a lower status so certain castes are considered to be superior castes higher castes certain castes are considered to be inferior in this hierarchy and the interaction between these castes again they are also bound by different kinds of societal rules regulations and all these groups they're endogamous that means people within a specific caste they tend to marry within the same caste right and this is something which is yeah, happening and right. now also this is the case right in fact now also if you look at intercaste marriages it is very less in india right yeah, almost around 95% of the marriages in india are within the same caste and caste also has implication on occupations caste is linked with occupation so people who belong to a particular caste they were supposed to be in a particular occupation yeah over a period of time things might have changed but now also there is massive linkage and different studies point to the same thing that in certain occupations people from a particular caste might be clustered yeah, so also an, i think in terms of geography and you know in any place certain castes are located in certain areas yeah know, so there is a special areas. segregation can be there for example in a rural area in a village again people from a particular caste might be staying together and 
members within the same caste, they tend to have stronger ties and between castes, like one caste and other caste, they might not be having strong ties. In fact, the level of trust might not be good enough. So within the caste, trust tends to be comparatively high. Higher. So how does this affect, you know, economic activity, economic mobility, when I say mobility, moving from one profession to the other, or moving from one place to another, or just moving higher up in terms of economic you know, advantage or income or any such thing. So if that is an important social, I mean, you know, it comes at an intersection of sociology as well as economics. So it makes that study that much more interesting. So when we're talking about this, and also there is a rural aspect to it, there is an urban aspect to it, and how caste plays out differently in different So specifically talking about the rural economy, the role of caste, especially in a rural economy, seems to be more pronounced in terms of how they marry or, you know, how they help each other out or, you know, everything that, you know, all activity that happens in the Yeah. So, but so not only rural areas, right? In urban areas, also, if you look at marriages, they are also you will find intercaste marriages are limited, right? So, but one thing here, if you look at the rural economy, the very nature of rural economy is slightly different from the urban economy. Rural areas, the way we define rural areas. Mostly the people in rural areas are engaged in agriculture or occupations related to agriculture. So this and caste, they can combine together and there can be again different kinds of implications. I'll just give you an example here. In rural areas, since people are engaged in agriculture and look at the agriculture sector in India, right? the contribution of agriculture is somewhere around 13%, 14%, but the number of people engaged in agriculture is more than 50%. So incomes in agriculture tends to be low. And not only is it low, it is also fluctuating. Right? You might have good returns this year, uh, next year you might not have it might not even be enough to meet your basic requirements. Apart from that, another aspect here is how is this divided, right? Those 50-60% who are engaged in agriculture, very few people will be there who will be making a lot of profits. Majority of those who are engaged in agriculture, they will be either marginal farmers, yeah, they will be landless laborers. So there are a lot of income risks in rural areas. On top of that, there's something which is related to the way our society is. Usually a lot of money is spent on weddings and both in rural areas as well as urban areas. In rural areas, yes, the size of the weddings might be different from that of an urban area. But if you just find out how much a person is earning and how much they are spending on weddings, that ratio, right? Again, you'll find that people spend disproportionately high as compared to their earning levels, right? Even in rural areas. So what I'm trying to say here is in rural areas, people have these kind of risks. One is the income risks. And sometimes they might have to spend a lot of money on uh, things like weddings. And how do they get the money from? Right. So one option is maybe they can go for a loan. They can go to a bank or they can go to some money lender and they can take a loan from them. But banks, again, have not been able to provide for this or they have not been able to meet this requirement. There are different kinds of market failures here. One is there is information asymmetry, right? So those who want the loans and the banks, right? the banks do not have enough information. They don't know whether this individual is credit worthy, right? So banks might not be willing to give loans to this individual, 
right? Who has different kinds of risks, maybe. And apart from that, you don't know whether this person is going to repay the loan, right? There is this commitment issue as well. There is lack of trust. So in rural economy, you have these specific kind of market failures. And as a result of which, people might be dependent on either government interventions or societal interventions. And caste is that societal intervention here or the caste system, the social networks, the caste networks might play a role here. People within the same caste, they have stronger ties, they might have accurate information. So again, people within the same caste, they might give loans to each other, right? There is this reciprocal tie here. And apart from that, another thing is the commitment issue that was there, right? That is also taken care of because within the caste, since they are close-knit, there can be different kinds of social sanctions on an individual if that person is not repaying the loan on time. True. So uh, we have, I mean, you know, to establish what we have just spoken a little, just to summarize, is that there is a market failure and we expect the government to intervene. Now, the government intervention is not effective and therefore a societal intervention has come about there. Now, this societal intervention, because the society is, you know, divided or is organized on the basis of caste, is the reason why caste networks are playing an important role in the rural economy in terms of credit or in terms of, you know, providing guarantees or whatever. Yeah, so help in consumption smoothing or whenever there is some form of income risks, maybe these networks play a role. Yeah, so... Coming to the cities as such, you know, you would expect that in the city that, you know, because you are in a larger sprawl, you're in a larger area, you would you would have the relative anonymity and therefore your interactions with other cars would increase. But this does not seem to play out the way we imagined. And here too, networks or caste-based networks seem to be playing an important role. Is this because of the migrations, you know, the way we, way people migrate from villages to cities in search of work or any other, you know, factors that are playing up here? Would, I mean, yeah, what, so what? there are different historical accounts which actually point out that as cities emerged in India, especially during the British rule, how certain, some of these caste networks, right, they helped in the emergence of the cities. What, what happened is people from certain castes, they would have moved to urban areas or they would have helped create the labor market in urban areas. So in some specific occupations, right, some particular castes, they started forming uh, networks. They started forming their own clusters. And over a period of time, they provided information back to people in rural areas from the same caste and fresh migrants. They were able to move, I mean, fresh people from rural areas, they were able to migrate to urban areas. So again, here also, the caste networks did play a role. And that is possibly the reason why even in urban labor markets, you will find that in certain occupations, certain castes dominate. There was a recent uh, study by Professor Kevin Munshi. He looks at it from another angle. He talks about how, in fact, we will be linking the, we'll provide the link for the paper here. He also talks about the role of uh, job referrals. He finds out that he studies for like for a period of around 20 years and finds out that 70% of people in blue-collar occupations reported that they received a job referral from a member of their caste. 
same caste and 35% of white collar professionals also received similar kind of assistance so in job referrals also caste is playing a role so people from the same caste they are helping people from their own caste to get into similar kind of professions yeah so we are talking about caste networks in you know in the sense of them solving some other societal issues in terms of or economic issues in sort of in, in terms of bringing other people from their own networks into the economic system or into the labor market as such okay so these kind of networks have provided economic mobility to a lot of people so we are talking of i mean there are examples of few sectors that have seen mobility prominent among them is the is the khatiawadis you know who were in the diamond polishing kind of profession this was actually uh, dominated by the marwadis and the palanpuri chains but what happened over time is that there was a discovery of certain you know di- diamond deposits in australia and this kind of excess supply of this allowed for the khatiawadi firms to enter into the business how did this happen because it was i think largely a function of the way the diamond business operates as well as the networks that they built within i mean between the palanpuri chains and their labor contractors that were there the trust that they built allowed the khatiawadis to actually come into the business or move away from just being polishers or into building their own network to building their own business uh, you know empire and rising in terms of economic strength okay now again we are talking about something which is a function of just a supply shock as in this you know an incident or something that happens very rarely and as well as the trust that has been built over time between somebody really big like the palanpuri jains because they could not manage all of this they allowed their trust worthy you know contractors to come into this market and this created a larger you know ripple effect in the sense that the khatiawadi brought in more of theirs i mean more people from their network into the business and then this further branched out over generations right so this is one example where actually the trust i mean where trust based businesses actually took off and i think these kind of networks have played a role in helping people move up the uh, you know mobility ladder as such right so but are there i mean definitely there are some kind of you know disadvantages or we can see that caste actually caste system actually hinders a lot of economic mobility so when we are talking about hindering economic mobility what exactly do we mean by that welcome back to this show over the last 10 15 minutes or so we've been discussing various economic phenomena such as market failures we've also discussed societal failures so all of this makes for very interesting and engaging reading that's what we at the takshila institution also seek to do we have a policy school where we offer different courses for different kinds of 
you know, requirements that you have. If you're interested in short courses, you can look at our graduate certificate in public policy program, which is a 12-week course. If you're interested in this in a, for a long term or a, you want to delve deeper into any of these issues and to see how policies are actually made, you could look at our postgraduate program in public policy, the PGP. The courses begin 21st of Jan and our applications are open. So please go on to school.takshashila.org.in to read up about the courses as well as to apply for these courses. Yes, so that's our plug for today. And we come back to this show and we were discussing particularly how caste networks are affecting economic mobility. So when we're talking about this, we're, I mean, caste acts as a major hindrance to economic mobility. We see the effect of caste not only in our social interactions, you know, where there is a lot of prejudice, there is, you know, harassment, there is every other kind of, you know, evil, a social ill that goes on. What does it do for economic mobility as such? You know, what are some of those, you know, some of those disadvantages or how does it hinder economic mobility is what we'll discuss in the next few minutes. Yeah. So going forward, Sartan, what are your thoughts? On yeah. So one is people, if they are part of caste networks, right, if they're strongly associated with the caste networks, it can lead to a scenario where people stick to their traditional occupations, right? So maybe there are new opportunities that are coming up. But because of the strong affiliation with the caste networks, people might not take up new opportunities that might come. So there are, again, studies done in Bombay. So there have been people who are associated with certain caste networks. They're working in the different kind of mills but when the economy opened after 90s right the different kinds of opportunities came up but a lot of people were not able to take this up uh, so that can be one then secondly if especially in this this is something which happens in uh, rural areas now what is the reason why caste exists in the rural areas right one is it helps or why how caste helps in the rural areas at least the economic one of the economic reasons over there is these uh, mutual insurance markets that exist right people uh, face different kind of risks they might not have enough capital but these uh, caste networks can help people whenever they they have any such emergency but there is an unintended consequence of this. The unintended consequence is this might be preventing rural to urban migration. In case of India, if you look at the wage differentials in urban areas, the wages tend to be higher as compared to rural areas. So which ideally what should happen is people, yeah, people should move from rural to urban areas because the wages in urban areas tend to be more than the wages in rural areas. But in India, rural to urban migration is low. In fact, this is also something which sounds counterintuitive, but in India, most of the migration usually happens from rural to rural areas. Rural to urban migration is comparatively low. Now, why rural to urban migration is important and why rural to mi urban migration is not happening? Now, typically, urban areas, they are the ones which give you a lot of opportunities. The economy grows because of the massive contribution of urban areas. People can get a chance to diversify their incomes, increase their incomes. So urban areas are very important. Rural to urban migration is very important. The standard of living in urban areas will also be better. But what is happening is people are not moving from rural to urban areas. Why? Because these mutual insurance, uh, the rural mutual insurance markets plays a significant role. If people from rural areas tend to move to urban areas or in a particular household some members from some members move to urban areas then they might not get the benefit they typically get from 
uh, people from the same caste in in the rural setups. And why this is not happening? Why they might not get the benefit? Two reasons here, right? So if some if a household has a lot of members in the urban areas, then the income, the financial situation of that household, it is difficult to gauge, right? You don't know how much urban income component they have. So those who are part of that same caste network, they don't know. They don't have much information about their incomes, which indirectly implies that information asymmetry thing that it was able to solve. Now it is not able to solve because it doesn't have, the caste network does not have enough information. Secondly, the impact of the societal sanctions now will be limited. So if this household takes money, there are chances that it will not return money because now they can, again, the impact of the social sanctions will be limited. Many members are already in the urban areas. So credibility issues, commitment issues will be there. So that household, which has a lot of members in urban areas, might not benefit from this insurance market. So people always do a cost-benefit analysis. They evaluate whether it makes sense for them to migrate to urban areas, whether the benefits of migration are more than the costs that they might have to incur. So this is again another implication. Also, caste system can lead to misallocation of human capital, right? So as caste, occupation, they are linked with one another. So people in a particular occupation, people from a particular caste, they might be clustered in a particular occupation. Maybe they are better talented, maybe they can take up something else, maybe they can earn more by being in some other occupation but because of the prevalent of caste because of the restrictions imposed by caste system there is misallocation of human capital and sometimes what happens is uh, there can be biases from the side of the employer they might discriminate they might not prefer to have yeah people from a particular caste right so that also happens that is also that can be a huge cost to the economy yeah, this misallocation of human capital or even resources otherwise is again explained in the paper very well, taking into consideration the Tirupur, uh, you know, cotton, the garment industry as such. I think, I mean, we, we needn't go into that here, but it, I mean, for those interested, it's a wonderful explanation of how when a certain caste dominates a certain sector, there is a misallocation of capital and productivity as such. So simply put, rural to urban migration is not happening because as an individual, I mean, keeping the economic, you know, vocabulary out, uh, if I feel, if as an individual, I feel that by moving to an urban setting, I will lose out on the support system that I have back home because they would not trust me enough or there would be some kind of mis, uh, you know, information that is not going out to them. And therefore, I will not be able to avail of certain benefits that come with being in a community. That is, nobody will help me when my income comes down or nobody will help me when I'm in trouble. Then I will weigh whether I really want to move to an urban setting. And this is bringing down rural to, I mean, this is one of the other factors that is bringing down rural to urban migration. So it is essentially some kind of a market failure too. So the solution to this will also be, you know, around markets, around, you know, government intervention in markets. So specifically, what do you think that the governments can do change that. Yeah, so the thing that you pointed out right now, right, that since people are possibly losing out on the societal support, uh, that's also, that's that's one of the factors, they are not migrating to urban areas. So here again, there are two aspects, right? One is the cost and one, what is the benefit, right? The benefit 
the perceived benefit seems to be less than the cost. So one of the way you can solve it is increase the perceived benefit, which implies that you should have more jobs, you should have better paying jobs. If you're able to create that, so again, the perceived benefit has increased massively as compared to the cost, right? This is something which can uh, promote urban to rural to urban migration, which implies that you need to create more jobs. And so there's one, uh, yeah, so that's one of the uh, thing that we also are trying to figure out, right? How do we create somewhere around 20 million jobs every year so that you can, so already those who are underemployed, they also get gainfully employed and those who are going to enter into the labor force in future, how they will also get employed. So more jobs is one of the solution. Apart from that, since the rural uh, insurance markets or the they're not effective or as a result of which people are depending on uh, societal networks, uh, maybe one of the solution is how do you create those markets in rural areas so that people do not depend on societal networks, right? How do you break that information asymmetry? How do you have better information? Something, something akin to microfinancing or, you know, I mean, some parallel of that sort. Is yeah. So again, basically the markets are not able to function efficiently in some areas. And as a result of which, you have to now rely on some societal networks. If in these areas, markets can function efficiently the reliance on caste networks might be might decrease and as a result of which maybe over a period of time the relevance of caste system might also go down so a lot of our problems to societal problems or societal issues lie in market solutions so we are not saying that markets will solve for all these problems but part of it is you know largely is markets functioning efficiently like you said so on that note, I think we can close this episode and we'll see you on another episode of All Things Policy soon. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, sir. Thanks, Uman. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.